0: Well, are you ready for the Word of God today? If you have your Bibles, which I hope we all do, if you will turn with me to two chapters, and they're going to be right next to each other, Uh, Luke chapter 6, and we're going to be talking also and reading from Luke chapter 7 also this morning, Luke chapter 6, and I'll give you the verse here in just a moment. But as you're turning there, I want to read the story that's going to help set up my message today. A number of years back, a young man and a very successful executive was traveling down a suburban street in his brand-new black Jaguar. Suddenly, a brick was thrown from the sidewalk, thumping into the side of his brand-new car. The brakes slammed and gears ground into reverse, and the tires spun madly as the Jaguar backed up to the front spot where the brick had been thrown. The driver jumped out and he grabbed the kid who had thrown the brick and pushed him up against a parked car. What was this all about? The man screamed. That's my new Jag and that brick you threw is going to cost you dearly. The youngster pleaded, please, mister, please, I'm sorry. I didn't know what else to do. I threw the brick because no one else would stop. Tears were streaming down his face at this time, and he pointed around the car that they were by. It's my brother, mister. He said he rolled off the curb and fell out of his wheelchair, and he can't get up. Sobbing, the boy asked the executive, Would you please help me get him back in his wheelchair? He's hurt, and he's too heavy for me to pick him up. The mood was immediately transformed in a moment as the young executive realized what had occurred. He lifted the young man into the wheelchair and took out his handkerchief and wiped the scrapes and the cuts. And then he watched as the younger brother pushed him down the sidewalk toward their home. Unfortunately, this type of a story is all too common. Without knowing all of the facts, we all make judgments about people all the time. And all of us in this place are guilty of that. And what's really unfortunate is that judgments like that are all too common in the church. I didn't expect to hear very many amens from that point there. Sadly, the Christian church has a bad reputation of being a bunch of judgmental hypocrites. And I've had too many conversations with people over the years who have been hurt by church because of the unfair judgments and condemnations that they have felt from believers. And there are way too many people nowadays in today's culture that have vowed never to set foot in a church setting because they have been wrongly judged and condemned And they don't want the first thing to do with a group of people that do that. Maybe some of you are here today, and you've experienced those that have judged you in the past. And they didn't know all the details of your life. The biggest threat to Christianity today... This is my opinion, and I believe many of you could probably follow suit with what I'm saying. Maybe some of you may not agree with it. But in the years of ministry that I have served in and growing up in church my entire life, the biggest threat that I have found to Christianity is not the sinners. It's the saved. There has been more damage done to the body of Christ by the Christian community than from anybody else outside. Is there any witnesses in here that can say, I believe, I agree with you? And that's a sad statement to say that there's more damage done from the inside of the walls than there are from the outside of the walls. But that is truth, whether you want to admit it or not. But thankfully here at Bethesda, there's no one that does any of that. Luke chapter 6, I want you to go there, and we're going to begin in reading in verse number 37. Jesus was beginning to talk to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, and they were so stuck in their rituals and routines and programs, and they, they actually took the Mosaic laws, the laws of Moses, and they added laws to it based upon their own personal convictions, and so the law of Moses in their eyes became much bigger because they kept adding to it. And they were, their, their laws, the Pharisaical laws, was getting so far out of place and out of order that Jesus was addressing this very important issue to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, not the sinners, the religious leaders of the day. Luke chapter 6, verse 37, here's Jesus speaking. He's saying, stop judging others, and you will not be judged. You can't get much more plainer than this, by the way. Stop criticizing others or it will come back on you. If you forgive others, you will be forgiven. If you give, you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full measure, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more and running over. Whatever measure you use in giving, whether large or small, it will be used to measure what is given back to you. Then Jesus gave the following illustration. What good is it that for one blind person to lead another, and the first one will fall into the ditch and will pull the other down also. A student is not greater than the teacher, but the student who works hard will become like the teacher. And here's the meat of his message. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? And how can you think of saying Friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye. And then he says that word, hypocrite. You say this, you preach this, but you don't do it. So he's calling him a hypocrite. First, get rid of the log from your own eye, and then perhaps you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. The Lord was dealing with the spiritual law here. He was dealing with the spiritual law of what I call sowing and reaping. You'll find it throughout scriptures. You will find that what you sow, you're going to reap. Whether it's a large sowing, you're going to sow largely back. If you sow small, you're going to uh, reap back in a small ways. If you sow good, you're going to get good. If you're going to sow bad, you will reap bad. In other words, what goes around comes around. What you put out there is what you will receive back. It is a spiritual law, just as the law of gravity is a physical law. You can't defeat it. You can manipulate the law of gravity. We do it all the time when we fly an airplane. You can manipulate a law, but once the manipulation of the law that man created stops and is is not being enforced, the gravity takes place And will always dominate. And so what goes around will eventually come around. If you want to sow uh, good things into people's life, you will reap it. If you want the good things, sow the right things. And you will get it back. Amen? So as Jesus looked at the religious culture of his day, he saw that judging others had become a great religious problem. And he was addressing the issue. The Pharisees and the scribes, they sat in the place of a critic rather than a place of leadership, of guiding and helping bring correction in the right way. They were quick to pass judgment on those who didn't live up to their expectations. And shall I say, in Christianity today, there are people who live by pharisaical laws and judgments and they judge. They're the spiritual police officers of the church. And they're producing themselves to be a Pharisee, not practicing what they preach, and it's hypocritical. And I'm encouraging if anybody's here today that falls into that category, I'm, I'm asking you to stop. Just stop. I remember a skit, a funny short six or seven minute skit with, a, with the actor Bob Newhart. Many of you know Bob Newhart, and he played a psychologist. And a female patient came in and she was trying to get her problem solved. And, and she would illustrate her first problem. And his counsel to her would be just stop it. Just stop it. And of course, it took her aback. And then she, next, she mentioned her next issue well, I'm, I'm claustrophobic and I get scared in closed, room, in closed rooms. Well, stop it. This is what Jesus was telling her just stop what you're doing. It's not fair and it's not right. And I want to share with you today what I'm entitling my message, Everyone Has a Story. We all have stories. I want you to look around the people around you. Look to the person to the right and left of you. If they're your spouse, wink at them. If they're not your spouse, don't wink at them. Look to the person behind you, in front of you. Everyone, everyone in this room and every person outside has a story. And the thing is, is most of us don't know the story of what people actually go through in everyday life. Whether you're saved or unsaved, we all have a story. And if we all understood everybody's story, if we were allowed to get into everyone's life to hear their story hear where they've been, what's happened to them, where, what they've done. You may look at them differently. And that's what Jesus was saying here. Don't judge, because they have a story that you don't understand. And if you don't understand their story, you're going to misinterpret them. And if you misinterpret them, you're going to get it all wrong, and you're going to look at them through the wrong eyes. And it's just not right. Turn over one more chapter to Luke chapter 7. I'm gonna read the story of a woman who was misjudged. And we're gonna be beginning in verse number 36. 736 of the book of Luke. Now, we're dealing with Pharisees again. Jesus is being invited to a Pharisee's house. His name is Simon. Verse 36. And one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to come into his home for a meal. So Jesus accepted the invitation, and he sat down to eat. Now, Jesus is smart enough. He's God in the flesh. He knows what's about to take place. He accepted an invitation knowing that he was getting ready to walk into a lion's den. Although Simon the Pharisee, he had no idea or never thought that Jesus would have gathered this because after all, Jesus was professing to be the Messiah, and he was just going to test him out. But Jesus knew what he was doing. Verse 37 A certain immoral woman, in other words, she was a sinner, she was immoral. She had her mistakes and her problems and her sins. A certain immoral woman heard that Jesus was in there and she brought a beautiful jar or an alabaster box filled with expensive perfumes. Obviously, she snuck in because there was a crowd with Jesus. The house was probably packed with people Jesus had probably his disciples there, and there were other Pharisees in the room. So she snuck in, and here she is, verse number 38. And then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping, and tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. And when the Pharisee, who was the host of the house, saw what was happening... And who the woman was, so he knew who this woman was. He knew her history, or at least the sinful nature. He said to himself, this proves that Jesus is no prophet. If God had really had sent him, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. Immediate judgment. Just immediate judgment. But watch what happens. Verse 40, and then Jesus spoke up and answered his thoughts. Isn't it amazing that what he thought, he was thinking what he just said. He didn't say it out loud. And Jesus read his mail. And Jesus spoke up and answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. All right, teacher, Simon replied, go ahead. Then Jesus told him a story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay, so he kindly forgave them both. In canceling their debts, who do you suppose loved him more after that? Well, Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. Keep losing my place here. That's right, Jesus said. For when he turned to the woman, he said to Simon... Now, he's looking at the woman, but he's talking to Simon the Pharisee. I lost my place again. Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, which was a cultural thing back then. But when she washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair, you didn't give me a kiss of greeting, but she has kissed my feet again and again from the time that I first came in. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume, which scholars say that alabaster box of perfume was worth about one year's wage. So just take what you make in a year's time, figure out what it is for the year, and that's the value that was to this woman here. It was very expensive. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she was anointed my feet with rare perfume. And I tell you this, listen what, hap- what happens. Her sins, and they are many. Jesus already knew her story. He knew her life. He already knew all the sins. He knew about her immoral lifestyle. And he's saying, and there are many sins. He's rubbing it into this Pharisee. And there are many sins and they have been forgiven because she has shown me much love. But a person, I love this, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, Your sins are forgiven. And the men at the table amongst themselves said, Who does this man think he is going around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go now in peace. What I think is strange about this story is this woman did not go down what we call today the Roman road. Find that in the book of Romans where basically you got to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he, you believe that He died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the grave and lives eternally at the right hand of the Father. That's the Roman road and obviously scripturally based, in Romans chapter 10. But she didn't go through this ritual. The disciples didn't come up to her before Jesus released her to go outside and said, will you say the sinner's prayer with me? He didn't do that. He saw her heart, and he knew her story. She saw the love. She didn't have to say one word to Jesus, and she didn't say one word. And she came in an immoral, sinful woman and walked out whole because Jesus saw the heart. Everyone else saw the outside. And too many times Christians see the outside and they don't see the heart and many of us, we can't see the heart of another person. We don't know their backstory, their life, the, the time, the difficulties they went through. In Luke 23, you don't have to turn there, but Jesus was on the cross. And on one side, he had a thief. And the other side beside him, he had a thief all on the crosses. And I remember vividly the story of how one thief was criticizing the Lord. On the cross, they're nailed there. Literally, minutes from dying. And one is criticizing, and the other one, on the other side of Jesus, is saying, Lord, remember me when you get to heaven. And how does Jesus respond? He ignores the scoffer. He ignores the judgmental person, and he speaks to the one who said, Remember me when you get to heaven. And Jesus says, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. You're going to be with me in heaven. But he didn't say the sinner's prayer. He didn't repeat, repeat this after me. I could see Jesus up here like this. Will you just repeat this after me? Say Jesus. All that. They didn't go through all that. There was was none of that. There was no confession of the mouth. There wasn't even a water baptism. Do I... Do I believe in water baptism? A million percent, yes. Every believer should be water baptized, as it's taught in Scripture. But in this case, this person wasn't. There was no time to get water. Jesus, Jesus, uh, can anybody hold on just for a second? Let us get off this cross. Let me water baptize him real quick, and then so he can go to heaven with me. He didn't say any of that. What happened? Jesus saw his heart. He saw his heart. Do I believe? That every believer should confess with their mouth and not be a closet Christian. And to confess Him as Lord publicly and make it known to everybody with His mouth. Yes, absolutely. But the Lord is a sovereign God. He chooses to work in ways that we will never understand. And for us to judge anybody, we need to leave that up to the Lord. Amen? There's a story about a newspaper reporter who was doing a story, and the reporter was once searching for a story about laziness that existed in a particular area of the country. And then he saw a man in his field, and he was sitting in a chair, and he was hoeing his weed while he was sitting down. And now this had to be the ultimate story of laziness, hoeing weed, sitting in a chair. And so he rushed back to his car to start the juicy story of what he was seeing when he looked back another time and he noticed the guy had no legs. And he was hoeing because he couldn't have legs to walk and stand. And so this story of humiliation turned actually into a story of courage all because someone's perspective of that person changed. I believe it calls for all of us to change our perspective on how we look at people today. This story goes to show us the limits of what we sometimes see in other people. Remember I said earlier that the Lord looks on the inside. People look on the outside. And in 1 Samuel 16 verse 7, as Jesse was lining up his 11 sons waiting for Samuel, the prophet, to come by to pick one of his sons to be the next king of Israel. Da- David was out in the fields tending to the sheep. Dad didn't bother to bring him in the picture because he was the youngest and he was the most crony and there would be no way, no way in, at all. He was probably a, a, a small, thin, freckled boy. And here he was out there. And 11 brothers inside, ready for Samuel to pick the next king. And finally, Samuel would go to each one and say, You're not it. You're not it. You're not it. Ah, come to one named Eliab and said, You got to be it. Look how good looking you are. Look at that five o'clock shadow on your face. Man, you got it all nice and trim. Look like Todd. Look at those muscles. And that tattoo on your arm, man, that's a nice tattoo. It's got a cross on it. That's good. And the Lord spoke to Samuel, just as he was getting ready to say, Elive, you're it. And he said in 1 Samuel 6, verse 7, he says, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't make decisions the way you do. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the thoughts and the intentions. I know the Bible says that we know each other by the fruit that we bear, and I believe that. But there sometimes in our life that some of us are going through such a terrible time of life that we can't produce fruit. We're doing everything on the inside of us just to be able to stay saved and stay close to the Lord as much as possible but the Lord looks on the inside. We don't have a right to sit in judgment over someone else's motives, because we don't know their full story. Only the Lord knows their story. In Job chapter 31, most of us know the story of Job. Job lost everything except his wife and a few friends. He lost it all. And his friends and his wife would come to him and, you must be sinning, Job. There's got to be extreme amount of sin in your life. You've got to repent and all this stuff will fix, will be fixed. And Job was saying, I've done nothing wrong. And here's what he tells us, his his friends and wife in Job 31 verse 6. He said, let God judge me on the scales of justice for he knows my integrity. Some of you in this place have been wrongly accused and judged by other believers, and you know the truth. And I'm telling you to stand upon the truth that you know and don't let anybody's criticism or judgment take you down because the Lord knows the truth in your life. In John chapter 8, Jesus himself was wrongly accused. Here, Jesus in John chapter 8, he says, Jesus is speaking. He said to the people, For I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't be stumbling through the darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. But the Pharisees, here we go, the religious people, the Pharisees replied, You're making false claims about yourself. But Jesus told them, These claims are valid even though I make make them about myself. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you don't know this about me. You judge me with all of your human limitations. Reminds me of the phrase that we hear all the time don't judge anybody until you've walked a mile in their shoes. Because when you walk a mile in another person's shoes, then you begin to see things differently. The rose colored glasses come off, and you start to see clearly because you've been there and done that with them. There's a TV commercial that was on a few years ago, and many of you who had commercial and watched commercials before DVR days, I don't ever watch commercials very much because I fast-forward all my recorded shows, and I love the fact, thank God for DVR. Does anybody say amen to that? (laughs) Love DVR and fast-forward those commercials. But there was a commercial on, and uh, I pulled it up. It's about 30 seconds long, and it goes along with my message today, so push play. I'm Stanley Johnson. I've got a great family, I've got a four-bedroom house and a great community. Like my car? It's new. I even belong to the local golf club. How do I do it? I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. I can barely pay my finance charges. Somebody help me. Okay, how I many of you remember this commercial? Okay, I'm, I'm not promoting LendingTree.com, that just... But this is the way it is in many of Christians' lives. We have learned over time how to put on the mask to cover up all of the issues that we're dealing with in life. And, and I am supportive of that to a certain degree, that... You can't go around looking like a mullet grub all the time. You can't. But some people do. They carry their feelings on their shoulders, and it's obvious that there are problems and difficulties. But many people put that facade on, and they're hurting on the inside. And they don't want anybody to judge them. They're scared to be vulnerable to show people their real hurtful side of what they're going through. They don't want to expose themselves because they're scared of how people will react to them. They're scared of losing relationships. The people the the people of God who we want relationship with as believers and communion and fellowship with, we want so badly for that to take place. And if they only knew what was really going on on the inside, that they won't love me anymore. They won't care for me. They will stop praying for me. They'll make me an outcast. People feel like that, and I know there's a high percentage here that feel that way. How do I know this? Because I deal with people on a regular basis. I've sat in the office of many times of counseling with people, and hearing their stories, confidential, private stories, many of them never told anybody else in their life, not even their spouse, but only me. And they came in my office, and I saw one perspective of them. And when they left, I looked differently at them because I've heard their story. I finally felt for them. I felt their pain, even though I wasn't there. I, I, they said it talked to me so vividly, it was so open and so vulnerable. And the last thing I would ever do was judge them for all of their sinful natures and mistakes and problems and things that they did that hurt other people. I I just chose not to judge them. And I changed my perspective when I heard this story because I saw their heart just as the Lord would see their heart. But we put this facade on because we were afraid and we're going to lose friendships. And the church is going to reject me. And what are they going to think about? They're going to look at me differently in a negative way. I'm telling you, there is a high percentage in this church alone that is, can say an amen with me inside their spirit. I'm here to tell you this. The Lord sees your heart. And there will be nobody. I'm telling nobody of Bethesda that will judge you wrongly. Don't hear an amen from the, from the community, from the church. We don't want to judge anybody wrong because people hurt on the inside. And many times all we'll see is the smile. Often have to come to remind myself that everyone has a story. Someone could have been just diagnosed with cancer this week and is having the most devastating time because the doctors told them they only have months to live. I've never been through that experience, but I thought, what would it be like if a doctor told me I only had months to live? How would I react? How would I respond? And I would try to think through that process as if if it really did happen. And I'm telling you, it made my perspective clearer for those who have been given a devastated story or are told by a doctor. You only got months to live. Or maybe someone lost a loved one maybe very young of age, unexpectedly or by a tragic accident. If you've never lost a loved one in a tragic accident at a young age, you can say you may understand, but you probably will never understand it till you experience that yourself. But we make judgments. Oh, get over it. Snap out of it. When they don't need that, They need somebody to listen to their story and to feel what they are feeling and to hear what they are saying. In my closing here, I'm going to mention one thing that I want to give all of us as a warning. It happens all the time, no matter if it's in the Christian world or even in the secular world. And here it is. Be careful. Matter of fact, let me just go a step further and say, Stop it. And here it is. Stop picking up the offenses of others without you knowing the full story. It happens way too often, and it happens a lot in the body of Christ. What do you mean? Someone will come up to you that you dearly love, family, friend, doesn't matter, co-worker, And they will come and spew all this bad junk about so-and-so over here and what they did wrong. And my spouse, that's the reason I'm divorcing him or her because this is what they did to me. And what we do is we're attached to that person and we pick up their offense. and And the person that they're talking about, I never had an offense against. But now I do because this person has tainted me against that person. But yet that person has a story that I've not yet heard. You following me? We do this way too often to where we'll hear a one-sided story. And we'll pick up the offense against that person over there whereas if we ever had a chance to go to that person over here and say, "Tell me your side of the story." And when you finally hear their side of the story, it makes you think, "Oh, you didn't tell me that part over here." And so what happens is there becomes a division. And that's the enemy's tactic. The devil's tactic amongst the believers is divide and conquer. If he can get you mad, if you're over here and he can get you mad for somebody over here, and you've only heard part of the story, then you are making an assumption against this person over here when they, in fact, have details that this person forgot to tell you about. Just know this anybody who tries to turn you against somebody else, it is their goal in life to make sure you only know what they want you to know. Come on, do I hear any amens? Be careful. It is a tool of the enemy. And if you follow, if you fall suit into that trap, you will have fault against another brother or sister in the Lord, and they will be out there all by themselves. If you ever have anybody that tries to turn you against somebody else, you say, okay, tell me your story. Ah, I can't believe they did that to you. Hold on a second. This person over here is telling me about you, that this, and this, and this, and this. What's your story? Oh, that changes things now. I was mad at you before, but now that I came and got your side of the story, now I don't, hmm, there's something, I'm glad I heard both stories. Don't pick up the offense of others without hearing both sides. And they always say there's two right sides, or there's two sides to every story. Many times there's three. There's their side, their side, and the right side. Because both are only going to tell you what they want you to know. If you grasp that little nugget from this point forward, you have learned a lesson in life that will bring blessings to you and keep unity in the body of Christ. Well, that's uh, without us being hurt about against somebody when we don't know the full story. Everybody has a story. And take time to listen to their stories if they're willing to share their stories. Amen? I'm going to close. I don't. I didn't finish my notes, so I close this out today. I'm going to say to those of you who've been on the receiving end of judgments from other Christians. I don't know why I'm speaking this today. Obviously, the Lord knows why, and those of you out there, this is spoken to you, and you know why. But the, the Lord is just want me to tell you as we close this today out is that people can judge you wrongly and you know what the truth is because you've been there. You've done that. And it would be the device of the enemy to make you feel so guilty and so ashamed. And he will use Christians and the devil uses Christians every single day. Sorry, sad to say, say that. Maybe sad to hear, but it's truth. For those of you on the receiving end, the Lord knows your heart. He knows exactly the truth. People can make false accusations against you, and you know that they're false, but it has hurt you, it has damaged you. Some of you have even left the church because of comments. And I'm here to say, it's not fair. Were you wrong in some of the things you did? Most likely, yes. But that's not for me to judge. That's for the Lord to judge. I'm making a declaration today, not only to myself, but to all of us in this room. And this declaration is this. Don't judge other people. Yeah, you may see bad fruit. Yes, you may see... Them throw a tantrum and be ungodly and show this type of rotten fruit and all that stuff. But just know there's something behind the scenes that's going on that caused them to act like that. Well, well that person's so hurtful. They just so hurt. They're just say mean things all the time. Well, remember the saying hurt people hurt people. Some of you may need to hear that a few times. People who are hurting others all the time. They're always giving out criticisms and problems and don't like you and you're having all this negative stuff. It's because they themselves on the inside are messed up. They're hurting others because they themselves are hurting. And the Lord's just saying today, He sees you. He knows your heart. He knows where you are. And I'm charging those of you who felt like that and you said, it's not worth going to that church over there, any church, doesn't matter if it's here anywhere else, they're going to criticize me. They're going to judge me. I'm here to make a charge to all of us. We're not going to criticize anybody, are we? We're going to love each other, even with all of our mistakes, even with all of our sins, even with all of our weaknesses. We are going to love people here at Bethesda in whatever condition that they are in.